0: Hello, and welcome to the Last Alliance podcast, the University of Alberta Tolkien Society book study for the fall term of 2014. Join us this semester as we read and discuss The Hobbit together. Hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, everybody. I'm
1: Jesse, around noon. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I think it's I'm, uh, I'm exactly noon, so it's not wrap. Oh. All right, can someone shut the doors maybe? Just uh, so <coughs> like, it's not too much can do they shut? Yeah, they shut <coughs> Alright, um, welcome to sort of a midpoint of the semester, I guess. I was was past the midpoint, it was last week. Welcome to around the midpoint. The <laughs> ben, you can't sit there. It's ben, just that you said, like, the middle point last time. Ben, so ben you're not good taking good. what <laughs> <laughs> You're such a literalist. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so welcome to this Hobbit book study uh, in this, uh, if you're like me, you're looking forward to spring, so, uh, and next year, does anyone have any, do we have announcements? We have lots of announcements. Awesome. Okay. Love announcements. Friday. Love them.
2: There are people who are going to trick-or-treating. If you've signed up with Alex, she is going to make a post for so the fun. groups and the information. Uh, trick-or-treating is 6 o'clock on Friday, which is Halloween. Dress up, whatever costume you want, it doesn't have to be Tolkien. Uh, meet here around 5.30 in the lounge, then once uh, everyone's there, look you guys will go as a group to ECHA or SAB or wherever they tell where Alex to. to go. And you will go trick-or-treating and it'll be fun. But Alex will make a post about that on the Facebook page, so watch out for that. Hopefully she'll tag
3: everyone in
0: can it. Can I say something about that? Yes. So this is trick-or-treating with the campus food bank, which means we're actually going around and collecting perishable foods for the food bank. But often people will also give us candy. <laughs> uh, it's very important if you go to remember to keep the candy separate from the perishable food, or it will be confiscated by the campus food bank people, as we discovered last year. As you to discovered our dismay, as all of our candy was taken, as well as the cans of beans and so. So well, you meant to collect like, non-perishable food, right? Yes. You said perishable. Yes. <laughs> right. So when I say perishable, I, I meant
1: non-perishable. See, Rick, I think you just need to stop. Yes, <laughs> like everyone. that's going to be part of the problem. Like how flammable Yes. Flammable okay. Right. <laughs> we're, to like,
2: we have okay. Like okay. all okay. of our more Trick or treat, fun, Friday, meet yeah. here at 5.30. Okay. Uh, we have another games night on November 7th, which is the Friday of the November long weekend. Okay. It'll be in this room, I think, like 5 to 10 or 6 to 10. The same Six. as the last 6 to 10. Same as the last games night, people can bring board games, load pizza, there will probably be junk food and pop and stuff. Fun good time coming out. Uh, the end of November is our main term party. Uh, so it's our presentation night. It will be here on the 21st, 20th? What is that Friday? 21st. 21st. It will be in this room on the 21st. Uh, so if you are thinking you might like to present, now is a good time to start thinking of what you might present. Uh, we'll have a piano here. Send me an email, also an email with more specifics. Send me an email if you want to present, and I'll have to do the program. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, Nick has Inklings.
4: Yeah, Thursday, 12 to 2, and uh, for those of you who might not know, Saturday, November 1st, is the first official day of NaNoWriMo, mm. National Rain Month. So if you'd like to participate in that, then uh, next Thursday at the, Ingl- at the Inklings will be a good time to sort of get together and try and do our best to survive and endure. Um, it's great fun.
2: This so is an announcement about his faculty.
4: Yeah, completely
1: unrelated to Tolkien. <coughs> starting in January in the winter term, department to, my department, resource economics, environmental sociology, is starting uh, experiments, which you can participate in. They're econ experiments. There's no probes in your brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like an hour ish per session. You make money. Like, you play some little game, and depending on how you play the game, you make more money or less money. So, I'm going to hand around little wood flyer things. If anybody's interested in registering, you can, like, register and then not go to anything.
4: Um, Do we still get money if we do that? No. (laughs) Um, What kind of system is that? Maybe that's the game. game. (laughs) But, yeah. So, if anybody's
1: interested, I'm going to pass these around. Take one. Also, tomorrow,
0: around 2 o'clock... Are the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien? So, of course, you're always welcome. Tomorrow, we're going to be looking at some letters about the Astari. Yes! So, yeah, okay. All right, great, thanks. Uh, So, we'll move right into our challenge, which was to create a sword of metal (laughs) and then name it. Or draw, if you. Or draw, oh yeah, or draw a metal bring sword. Bring a sword
2: of sorts and name it. Yes, bring, draw yeah. some yeah. kind of
0: blade and then name it with Someone
2: suggested bringing a metal sword and then I opened it up to metal. Right.
0: Yeah, but it wasn't. Restricted. So do we have any? Do we have any uh, submissions for our challenge? Okay, Nick and Susanna. Two. All also, right. as
2: you're getting your challenges out, a note that if you wanted to participate and didn't have time, we do still publish a journal at the end of the year. So these are really good prompts if you don't know what you want to submit to the journal. Uh, it's always really good if we can get lots of submissions, so if you want to like submit one to me later, it will be included in the end of your journal, even if you didn't bring it today. Oh, do you want to grab a couple of things? Yep. I saw it when I was giving the cookies, and I just left it there. Alright,
0: well why don't we start I'm with Nick, or, uh, and then we'll do Suzanne. How does that sound?
4: Okay, I cheated, so keep that in mind. I brought a sort of phone. You shouldn't say that before I beat <laughs> <that>, myself. <laughs> generally... After you've won is a better... we <laughs> <laughs> be prepared well ahead of time. <laughs> Alright, so this is my blade, Nash which in black speech means blood and rule. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it as something that would have been forged in Barad Dur in the service of the Dark Lord, which is what I would be doing. If I were in the Lord Greens. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's perfect it's for the role. So. Well, what's could, the name?
4: Uh, well, I, I looked up the black speech and I combined the words Nash which means serve blood and rule. Okay. I pretty cool. Wow. Thank you. I like to think of mine as being slightly more practical. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: it's in two pieces, I'll have to pass it around. It is the midterm slayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, the hilt the is made of HB pencils for ease yes. in filling out multiple choice forms. Um, then there are a layer of textbooks which contain all the information you could possibly need for your midterms. Mm-hmm. And to help you get through all those textbooks there's a very sharp serrated blade um, <laughs> to help you saw through them. Yeah. And then an extraordinarily sharp end here which helps you cut through essay questions. Wow. There Gosh. is unfortunately one drawback and that is it does not help you with finals, it only does midterms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. Right. I should point out that Nick's sort also has a one serrated edge, just so that we're. You know, two, actually. Two. two serrated. Which edges. means you
5: can't do essay questions.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it could soften your flesh out pretty easily. Oh, okay. Can I copy that for the journal? Or can I like, make a copy at some point? Oh, yeah, you can have it. I'm oh. not
2: curious.
5: Yeah. Most of my midterms are done. I hope
0: <laughs> you Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Brian. Yeah, grab a chair here in the panel. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, okay, so that's going to be passed around. Uh, Nick, you can pass yours around, too, if you like, although let's try not to actually kill anybody. Handle first. Okay, yeah, please handle first and don't run with it. So uh, we're going to go around and say something that we liked about the chapter, which was flies and spiders for today. So something you liked, a question you had, something you say, we really need to talk about this. And uh, why don't we start with uh, whoever has been out of the country most recently. And then go counterclockwise. And then go counterclockwise. Oh, dang. I I didn't read the chapter. Okay, that's fine. That's okay. Don't, you know, this is, wow, this is three weeks. No, no, that's (laughs) <laughs> Which was Greg? Greg. Uh, so, Greg, you're next.
1: Kara specifically said counterclockwise, so that she didn't write right. <laughs> <do whatever laughs> Okay, so I'm Greg, and my favorite part was when really we to cross that little river in Mirkwood.
0: I don't quite. Uh, my name is, oh yeah, say your name too again, if you don't mind. I know we're having, we're having through the semester, but I have a terrible memory. My name is Rick, and probably, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like I like Mirkwood. I want to talk about Mirkwood the forest. I think that's very, very interesting.
6: I'm Ryan. I, I, uh, I'm always uh, fascinated by the, the poem, uh the songs, Lazy Moth, or Lazy Kong. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm Ben, and something that I found interesting was uh, just after Bilbo like fights the first spider, it says, uh, also, Bilbo had slipped his ring on before he started. That is why the spiders didn't see him coming. And it's funny how, like, we reading, having read *Lord of the Rings*, we know this is like the most powerful ring in the world. And in here, it's just like, oh yeah, he had the ring on. Whatever. (laughs) That's why they didn't see him.
4: (laughs) I'm Nick, and I did not read the chat. Um,
7: I'm Angelina. My favorite moment is when Sting gets
3: named. Right.
8: I'm Anya. Um, I'm not sure if I really have a favorite, favorite part because I just love this chapter. Except maybe when they're lighting the fire and there's bugs everywhere. Um, I'd like to talk about how, regardless of the fact that it's halfway through the book, the dwarves are still pushing off like odd jobs onto Bilbo. Like, oh, we don't want to do this. Let's let's give it to Bilbo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this has to happen. Obviously it's gonna be Bilbo who does it. And if he doesn't know how to do it or does it poorly, they're like, oh well, everything's your fault.
3: I'm Heather. I think my favorite part is when Thranduil is questioning Thorin, and Thorin will only say that he's starving. I just think that he's so sassy. I love it. That's exactly what
2: I wrote
7: in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shelby, I have to go with you entirely on that. I just sat I sit there laughing at that part.
6: <laughs> uh, my name's Daniel, and I guess something I'd like to talk about is again with Rick
0: Mirkwood and Bilbo's dream about the wooden king is how Merkwood may have used to be, or should be, without all the evil in it. Uh,
3: I'm Corinne, and I really enjoyed that, you know, after they have that brief interlude where the spider stuff coming, Valen absolutely insists on knowing every single detail about how Bilbo got the ring, even though they're still in imminent danger.
9: <laughs> my name is Brina, and my favorite part is the like, pure shock and relief of Bilbo coming My uh, Jessica,
5: and I uh, just found interesting the small bit they have about the relationship between elves and dwarves, and I think that should be explored a little bit more, especially when we learn more about that in other books later on. Um, I'm Sarah Lynn, and I did not read the chapter. Uh, I'm Jesse, and I think my
6: favorite bit is I'll also- I kind of want to talk about the fact that the spiders speak English while the wargs don't. Um, <laughs> and, and which one is more animalistic.
5: Uh, I'm Susanna and I also found that very interesting, the fact that they're insulted by Bilbo's song. But I also really loved the bit where they would see a fire and they'd walk towards it and also that was really and I really enjoyed that
0: I'm Jordan uh, I
6: didn't get a chance to read it this week though I do recall really loving the
0: spider aggravation poetry. Um, I just find it hilarious and overall quite amusing
10: I'm Taryn and I like the part where um, after he kills the first spider uh, where it talks about somehow killing the killing of the giant spider all alone by himself in the dark without the help of the wizard or the dwarves or anyone else made a great difference to Mr. Baggins. And so I'd like to kind of talk about how it makes this difference and what that difference is.
6: Um, I'm Braden and I just like Merquin in general. I think it's a really fascinating place with a cool history. Um, to.
2: I'm Kara and my favorite part in this chapter is the black butterflies that look like purple emperors because I really remember reading that as a child and having a very distinct image of that. Something I'd like to talk about is the really dark change that the tone of the book has taken. Like there are lines in here, about very blase lines about actually like killing someone. Like we always talked about killing doesn't happen on screen, but here you have Bilbo killing spiders, and Bomber hoping he never wakes up again, and it's just, I don't know. I think this chapter is a very definitive turn.
1: Um, Lucas and I did not read the chapter this week.
0: Okay, great, thanks everybody. <coughs> So uh, I'm going to start with a line. Um, so we're about, so that we left the dwarves at the edge of the forest. Gandalf has left them. Gandalf has left the dwarves in the care of Bilbo, which is a great change, right? Uh, but I just want to talk. Just so we're at the edge of Mirkwood, and the question that I have is: at what at this point in the story, what might so? And this is going to be hard because, of course, we've all read this many times most of us, but if you're reading it for the, if, try to imagine that you're reading this for the first time, and now you're at the edge of this forest, you've just come through everything that we've come through, what might you be expecting to happen in the forest? Yeah, yeah. Bad things. Okay, bad things. Kara? Um,
2: Gandalf to come back and save them at the last minute. Gandalf to come
0: back, okay. Uh, Jesse? Oh, yeah, I was going to say some kind of unexpected ally or something. Okay, unexpected ally,
7: okay. Uh, oh, Shelby? Okay. Um, I always was thinking, like, how much they force in the do not lose the path. It's like they're going to get off the path.
1: Yeah, right. It's, yeah, okay, Ben? Uh, them to somehow lose all their supplies and magically get more.
0: Okay, all right. So I just want to I just want to make a note of what Bjorn says in the previous chapter about Merkwood, as as sort of Tolkien kind of setting us up for what we might expect. So on page one twenty four in this version, I don't know which versions it's going to be other ones. Uh, it's toward the end of the chapter. Well, yeah, a few, few pages before. Bjorn is describing Mirkwood. He says, Mirkwood is dark, dangerous, and difficult, he said. Water is not easy to find there, nor food. The time has not yet come for nuts, though it may be past and gone indeed before you get to the other side. And nuts are about all that grows there fit for food. In there the wild things are dark, queer, and savage. Okay, now this is Bjorn talking. So I mean, he's a guy who lives right on the edge of the forest, and Bjorn himself, as we saw last week, is a little on the savage and wild side. Yet, if he is describing Mirkwood as wild and savage, how might what might that, what kind of expectations might that put in our heads as we head into the forest? Yeah, we're
6: just comparing this to like other forests, like the old forest. Um, which is kind of you know like nature kind of does its thing, but it's not necessarily out to get you. It kind of gives you a feeling that the the actual forest is trying to like, mm. you know, out to get them, to yeah. stop yeah. them. Okay.
0: Yeah. Kind
3: of, you kind of get the idea that this is the forest where everything dark and bad congregates.
0: Yeah. Yes, Greg. It's the Australia forests, Everything is trying to kill you. <laughs> Australia force. Everything is going to be trying to kill you. Yes?
8: Just kind of that anything, anything can happen.
0: Right. Yeah, anything can happen. Right. And the fact that, like I said, the fact that it's Bjorn, who is this wild man, is, describes it as wild and savage, suggests that, you know, nothing that they have encountered up to this point can prepare them for what they're going to encounter here.
1: But didn't Bjorn like think that some of the things that they did and they thought were civilized was savage, like uh, I think pack animals? Yeah. I remember there was one thing in particular that Bjorn thought was savage, that they were like, oh, this is civilized.
0: Yeah, it was, it was furry. Yeah, Saving so like... Clothes from fur. Ma- maybe, yeah.
1: although we know this isn't true, it could be like, oh, this is the most civilized place
0: ever, but Bjorn thinks it's so savage. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. Sure. Kind
2: of going off Same kind of vein as Ben. Uh, Like, I mean, Yorn himself is very savage, but his existence isn't. Like, his animals are very tame, very docile. They're his friends. I mean, he could also just be comparing it to that. Like, it might be a lesser. Maybe you're setting the bar a little lower when it comes to how savage something is. Like, maybe not comparing it to himself. Maybe he's comparing it to
0: what he's used to. Yeah, it could be. My my sense is when he says "savage," he means more savage than him. I would, I would sort of guess, but, but yeah, obviously it could be. So, some of you are suggesting that he may be saying the opposite of what he. I'm, 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 say, I'm, say, I'm saying that he could be saying <laughs> the opposite. Right. We know that he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's what's very interesting about the chapter "Flies and Spiders" is when they enter the forest, actually, very little happens. Right. In fact. Despite the fact that, so so when you get into the the uh, the opening section, the opening pages or the opening paragraphs of that chapter, right? In fact the third paragraph, there's some description, right? There were black squirrels in the wood, okay? As Bilbo's sharp inquisitive eyes got used to seeing things, he could catch glimpses of them whisking off the path and scuttling behind tree trunks. There were queer noises too, runs, scufflings, and hurryings in the undergrowth, so you can hear things, right? Of course, the worst thing is at night. What happens at night? Yes. Eyes. eyes. right? Red eyes, green eyes, right? Sort of peering at them from behind trees and so on. But those aren't the worst. The bulbous eyes. Yes, these kind of bulbous eyes that are looking at them from above, right? So clearly there are things in the forest, but they're never attacked by any of them. And they go for days with nothing happening. So, what is queer about Merkwood? What is strange, what is wild about Merkwood? It's not the creatures, at least not yet. Yeah, Greg? Right? Well, so far when they've been in danger, it's just, this thing is trying to kill you right now.
1: Here, Merkwood is just presenting a looming threat.
0: Yeah, say something else, say something more about looming threat, Greg. <laughs> that was all the things I had. Oh! So, um, <laughs> So, so remember, the Misty Mountains, they barely got through, they barely got into the Misty Mountains they were attacked by the goblins, right? And here they, they are traveling days and, work with, and nothing, they're not encountering anything, right? Yeah? Well,
3: it's almost conditional because they keep being told, do not leave the path. And it's mm-hmm. that, it's that conditional threat that if you leave the path, suddenly this forest is going, it, it, it's going to change and it's going to try and attack you from all ends. Versus, mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if it's figurative or if it's just like if you stay on the path, that's more of a, a safety barrier if there's a magic or something there that's implied. Okay.
8: Yeah. It's almost like you're, you're sitting when you're... It's like the difference between a regular horror movie and sitting in like a suspenseful horror movie because you're sitting there, you're waiting for something to happen. And you're almost reading too much into like the little things because you're like, oh, this could mean this. And you're just, your imagination's blowing in out of proportion. But also there's the fact that it's almost like the forest is waiting for
0: them to run out
4: of supplies. Okay. Nick? Well, you almost get the sense of something is watching them, something is waiting for them to make the wrong move. Because, um, <clears throat> you know, there are predators that will sort of um, wait out their uh, their prey and wait for the right moment to strike. And so it's kind of like uh, you almost get the sense that something far more malicious is sort of watching them and just waiting for them to trip up so it can attack them uh, more sort of... Uh, Malicious well, than say a group of
0: goblins, this is sort of a truly sort of monstrous thing. Is malice the emotion you get when you get into Mortwood? Like the forest hates you? Yeah. I suppose.
6: Okay. Anyway, you had some, something else, Dan. <clears throat> I was just going to say everything the party's come across thus far, they've been able to face physically with blades and fight them, but the forest is sort of a mental game, and they seem a little ill-equipped to deal with that part of mm. Yeah, their okay. experience. Jeff, did you hear? Uh Yeah, it
0: was the same thing. Oh, 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 Jeff. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I was <coughs> going to say something similar. So. Okay, well, we're talking. Someone had brought up malice, and malice feels
10: like almost forest in general just has kind of like, it's just a generalized thing, it's more existential, it's not really directing things at people intentionally, mm-hmm.
0: I feel. Okay. Brenna? I feel like the most effective part of Markwood for me is that all of their different experiences seem to be
9: defined by how well they can or cannot see. And so light is a really huge part and it almost feels as though the forest is playing this mental game with them by taking away their senses.
0: Actually, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Um Well,
6: the forest, I think, in a way, is almost similar to the necromancer. I kind of get the, the impression. Like, it's kind of just this malice that's there, but kind of waiting for its time. So I feel like the forest is kind of the same. It's like kind of out to get you, but it's not really, you know, it's not ready to just start attacking people, walking through the path, maybe not powerful enough, or whatever it is. Yeah. It's almost like it's
8: giving them intentional little bits of hope and then taking them away to, like, I
0: mean, there's animals that
8: you potentially shoot, but they don't taste good, and they're not actually, like, fulfilling. And when they first came in, there was, like, little bits of sunlight, and then they went away. And when Bilbo climbed the tree, he was like, oh, like, sunlight, butterflies, and then when he really, when he looked around and didn't see the edge to the forest, his spirits came crashing back down.
0: Yes, Chad?
10: Well, it's, it's almost like things look normal on, like, the surface to some extent. But then there's always some sort of weird twist to them. Like they could be normal, but then you're like, wait, something's wrong here. So. Like black
11: squirrels? <laughs> yeah. Well, like not just like they're really black, beautiful. but they're like the squirrels like don't like taste
10: like squirrels, you know? presumably. Or like you've got this water going through. It's like black water, or like the right. even the black butterflies. It's like they're like the purple butterflies, but they're actually.
0: There's something about entering Mirkwood. Like, when they enter Mirkwood, whatever the emotion is, and it may be malice, a kind of malice, uh, it seems to be more of a kind of strangeness, like a kind of eerie feeling as you get into the forest. And then, there are things that happen in the forest that are rather odd, right? So they come across a stream that... They are told, you should not touch the water, right? Which is a little odd. Or on the edge of the bank, suddenly this heart comes flying out. No one thinks of anything except Thorn, who manages to take a shot at it and hits it. And they hear it kind of crashing into the woods later. But of course, they never find it, right? And even the, then they come across a doe, right, with fawns, that also is there and then gone. And there's no sort of explanation of the significance of those animals, right? Um, They hear the sound of some kind of hunting party, they hear the horns and the dogs, but they don't actually see anything, right? And then there's this really um, kind of (laughs) odd part where they hear uh, laughing and singing that's kind of fair and beautiful, and not definitely not the voices of goblins. Oh, this is on page 136 in, in this version. At times they heard disquieting laughter. Sometimes there were singing in the distance, too. The laughter was the laughter of fair voices, not of goblins. And the singing was beautiful, but it sounded eerie and strange, and they were not comforted. Rather, they hurried on from those parts with what strength they had left. Yeah, show
7: Um I may be stretching here, but a lot of what the, the description is and, like, with the animals, the, the semi absent hunting party and things like that reminds me of, like, stories of the Fae and, like, walking into the Fae realm.
0: Yes, exactly. And they
7: do refer... Actually, that was one of the things that was interesting to me is they refer to the elves as the ones that did not go west to Ferry.
0: Right. Yeah, I think... I think at this moment in the story, when Bilbo and the dwarves enter Mirkwood, they're not just entering sort of the, the wildest part of the wild. They're actually crossing the threshold into what Tolkien calls the perilous realm. Right? This forest, it's not malice. It's enchanted. Right? And that is very important for the story, but also... It's very important in Tolkien's sort of mythology because, of course, for Tolkien, fairy was not Tinkerbell, <laughs> right? Which is the modern iteration of fairies, right? For Tolkien, fairy was the medieval fairies of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, right? They were they were large, formidable, they were dangerous, right? They weren't small, diminutive, hiding behind flowers and using leaves as umbrellas and flitting around like. Right, that was not what Tolkien thought as fairies. Right, he thought them as 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 dangerous, as perilous. Right. Um, so, can you think of another forest in Middle Earth that was described as perilous? Dangling. Jesse, Jess, uh, sorry, Dangling. Lost Laurie. Yeah, actually, not Loch Lothlorien is described by both Boromir and Aragorn as perilous. What is perilous? What does that mean when something in Tolkien's world is perilous? Does anyone? What is the perilous realm? Uncanny and unsafe. Uncanny, unsafe. Yeah. What else do you know of the perilous realm? Yeah, Taryn.
10: Like it's a suspension of normal. You're kind of crossing this threshold into kind of like to say spiritual. I think it gives it like the wrong mm-hmm. kind of slant. But you're crossing into, into like the boundary between what you know to be reality and into a realm where anything can happen. Yeah. And that anything
0: can be dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So, right. Okay, Josh. Unchanging. Unchanging. Okay. Say more about that, Josh. Um,
6: Lothlorien, Mirkwood, Valinor—they're all places where things don't die, but they don't change either. Okay. They just carry on the same as they've always been. Yeah. Just, just like the elves do. Okay. Yeah, Shelby, I think the the path is sort of
7: the best. Analog of it, it's like you're walking on knife knife's edge. If you stray past that, anything could happen to you. Anything, it, it's the, you're taking your life into your own hands. So if you go off that path, same in like Lawlorian. If you do anything beyond the norm, what they allow you, you uh, you are faced with wrath or things like that. Things that it's uh, it's somewhere where you are very much not safe. You have just a small degree of you're allowed here, and that's it.
0: Okay.
8: Yep. I almost want to say the feeling I get from it is loaded. Like there's tension, so much tension. It's like so many possibilities that like you're scared of like what happens if you if you straight but a little unintentional unintentional quote. Um, you know, because it's like and it's it's so stagnant that it's almost or. So unchanging that it's almost stagnant in that sense, um, but Florian and Merkwood. I think the difference between them is that Florian has um, Galadriel's power that kind of keeps it a little bit more alive, whereas Merkwood is so is so unchanging that it became stagnant. Sure. So they kind of have that opposite end of the spectrum.
0: Okay, <coughs> uh, Braden and then Jess and then Corinne and then. Nick, and then I'm going to move
6: on. Yeah, I was going to say for me, I think perilous kind of refers that it's a place like mortals are allowed to go, but it's not really like their domain. Mm -hmm. It's a domain of fairies, I guess. Okay. Um,
5: Well, I was just thinking because it's so ancient, mortals would find it disconcerting. All the like, they all mortal people only live for a short amount of time, so to see that ever expansing it would be like facing how short of a amount of life you have when you see all of it in front of you. Okay.
3: I think a lot of it is also um, playing with who you are internally. Like Merkwood, because it's so eerie, it's so strange that it, the forest, intentionally or not, is playing mind games with you on its strangeness. And with Lothlorien, it was very clear that the only evil that you bring there, is the only evil there, is the evil you bring yourself. And it, it plays with who
4: you are internally on that, which I think ties into perilous. Well, in, in regards to sort of the unchanging aspects, uh, we, you know, as we'll find out later, Mirkwood is being sort of polluted by the necromancer. It's being sort of um, corrupted, as it were. If you look at Lothlorien, it's very, very different from Mirkwood, as we see. And so, you know, that's another sort of aspect, making it even more perilous is the fact that an evil entity is sort of making the forest his own and we're sort of seeing the, it that it's very different from what the elves would would
0: normally live yeah. Okay, thanks, Ding. So yeah, wow. we are gonna to get to that. Okay, so so the perilousness of it is the fact that they're entering into sort of a new a new world where and a lot of the kinds of stuff that you all described is that it's dangerous, right? There's a possibility of being, well, as we swell, okay, well let's just see how the story progresses. So the first thing that happens, of course, is they get to the stream, right? And, and Bomber falls in. And what happens to him? He falls asleep, right? This is not a normal sleep, right? He is enchanted by this stream, right? And when he wakes up, he has forgotten everything that has happened up to that point. Now, while he is sleeping, he dreams. And what does he dream about? feast. The elves that live in the forest. The elves, right? The woodland king? Sorry? The woodland king, specifically? Yeah, the woodland, he dreams of this woodland king, yep. Yeah. Now, what we discover is that these aren't just dreams, right? They're actually a kind of vision, because the dwarves actually encounter the very thing that Bomber is dreaming about, Right? So 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 his, this enchantment is a kind of it's a kind of vision, it's kind of opening up of one's sight and seeing things that remember they, that they saw the hunt and they didn't, or they heard the hunt but they didn't see it, right? Bomber, in his enchanted state, seems to be able to see things that can't be seen normally until later in the chapter, when they also, once they're off the path, they also are able to see things, right? They themselves, in a sense, become enchanted as soon as they leave the path, right? Even though you know, the entire, all of Merkwood is, is enchanted already, right? So, but one, oh yeah, Taryn.
10: Well, and also, um, like the closer they get to the elves, like when Bilbo actually goes out by himself and meets the elves, he has like a similar kind of dream enchantment thing, Womber, only shorter, he doesn't lose his
0: memory. Right. Where he sees like the beast and the yeah, what, what do we learn, what are what's some things that we learned there about the perilous realm and about being in the perilous realm? And actually, Smith, of, the story Smith of Wooden Major is a great example of this, which I won't talk about because taking us too far afield. But, <clears throat> okay, well, obviously you can't force yourself in, right? That's one thing that we see, right? Three times they try to sort of force themselves into this, whatever it is happening before them. But the Perilous Realm doesn't let mortals just, doesn't let them just do whatever they want, right? Mortals are not in charge when they get into the Perilous Realm, right? They are at the whim and the power of, the, of fairy, right? So the first time they see this, right, they, they, they step out into the light and of course, poof, everything's gone up in smoke, right? And then the second time, as Terran says, Bilbo, right, does, he, does, he sort of shoved it, doesn't have time to put on his ring. And of course, he is also immediately enchanted, Right? In fact, they, they even say he's become like Bomber, right? And then they say that? It's, yeah, right? So 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 it's a very similar kind of experience. And he also, you know, he, he falls into a sleep, right? And then the third time, what happens? Thorne gets taken. Or Thorne
2: falls asleep and when everyone's left
0: he gets taken. Yeah, so this time Thorne steps in, right? And this time he also falls like a stone, enchanted, right? And then he is captured, right? That's one of the dangers of the perilous problem, right? Is the possibility that you will be taken and that you won't be able to get out. That's one of the things that makes it perilous, right? Is this possibility of being of being taken? Yeah. Tara. Well,
8: I'm, it
10: just reminds me of sort of those old fairy tales, but where. Just like about like the fairy rings or whatever. It was like if you step in there, then the fairy will get you and you'll be like asleep for a hundred years. Yeah. Kind of that same right. feeling and that same danger.
0: Yeah. So so Merkwood, yeah, Mirkwood comes to represent this perilous realm that is very dangerous for mortals to enter. It's like a knife edge as, as as Shelby said, right? It's very dangerous for mortals to enter because there's a possibility that you'll be captured, right? Uh Mirkwood is the realm of the elven king. It's his realm. And you don't travel in that realm without permission from the Elven King. In fact, it's a crime, we find out, to walk in the perilous realm without permission, right? The gates of the Elven Kingdom are magic, and no one can can go in and out without the permission of the Elven King. Unless, of course, you're Bilbo, and you have a magic ring, an enchanted ring, a ring that actually comes from the perilous realm. Then, of course, that gives you access of a kind, right? Um, so Thorne and company, they've entered this realm. Right? And not only have they entered it, but they have dared to intrude on a feast of the elven king. And in so doing, they are, Thorne anyway is captured and eventually the, other, the others will really be too. So, right? so, so that's sort of what, what Tolkien is getting at here with Burkwood is that they're entering into the realm of fairy. Right? And for Tolkien, it's very important that we see that as a very dangerous place. Right? And that comes out throughout a lot of his, his mythology. Right? Um, but, and this is g- getting to Nick's point, there's something else going on in Mirkwood that can't be solely attributed to the fact that it's the perilous realm and that it's enchanting. And how is that expressed in the chapter? Because of course the necromancer isn't mentioned. Neither is Gold wulder Yeah, Jess. Uh, me? Um, yeah. Uh,
5: the spiders, I giant spiders. I mean, you see in Lord of the Rings, the Shelob and all those associated with the dark magic as it were. So I in Tolkien's works, you kind of see that he associates spiders and that kind of darkness with Sauron or
0: Morgoth um, or with the darkness. Right. Yeah. And so that's the ultimate expression. And we're going to get to the, the spiders. But before we get to the spiders, how do you, right, how does the chapter sort of express what Nick has been talking about? What what word or term or does it use? And you already mentioned it, Jess. What is the what is the primary characteristic of the experience of the dwarves in Bilbo in Merkwood? Dark, darkness, right? So, for example, in fact, uh, interestingly, that's exactly how Meru describes Bilbo's experience in the two towers. Which, of course, I do not. <laughs> because why not? So Mary is describing Fandorn, right? And he's de- contrasting Fandorn with Mirkwood, right? And he says, But the sun, at any rate, must peep in sometime, said Mary about Fandorn. It does not look or feel at all like Bilbo's description of Mirkwood. That was all dark and black and the home of dark black things. Right? That's Mary's description of her from Bill, right? Yeah, Kara. And I think it's not just
2: dark because they talk about how they're sick for the sight of the sun in the sky and then later it comments that even the dwarves who are used to being in the dark for really long periods of time and like going months without seeing the sun even their feelings are yes. at unease about it. Yes. And like they, they like the dark, so I think this is they talk about like dark for dark business we like being in the dark, but this is like even too dark for people who enjoy it. Yeah,
0: this is a different kind of darkness, right? right? Mirkwood is thoroughly and oppressively dark, right? And the night in Mirkwood is not what we would call pitch black. It's black as pitch, you might say, right? And as some people already pointed out, everything in the forest is black. The moths, the squirrels, the butterflies, even the water in the enchanted stream is described as black. Right now, there's evidence that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Right? Did anyone pick up anything about that in the chapter? Yes.
8: The white heart.
0: The white heart. Okay. Good. Which, by the way, we find out later belongs to the elves. Right. That they hunt. Yeah. The uh, mongers okay. dream of the elves. That their forest is wrapped up like this one,
6: but lit the torches and fire. And-
0: Yes, Tom, yeah, Bob, I was going to say Tom Bombardone. <laughs> yeah, Bomber's dream of these elves, right? What is this? Okay, so okay, so we're going to come to the elves, right? Um, notice, notice the, the very f- first description of the forest when they are first going to enter in. Right? So the very, the very second sentence of the chapter, the entrance to the path was like a sort of arch leading into a gloomy tunnel made by two great trees that leaned together, too old and strangled with ivy and hung with lichen to bear more than a few blackened leaves. Right? So this forest is not thriving. Right. It's not itself. In fact, once in the forest, we read, once. where is that? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Oh yeah, the second paragraph. As their eyes became used to the dimness, they could see a little way to either side in a sort of darkened green glimmer. Occasionally, a slender beam of sun that had the luck to slip in through some opening in the leaves far above, and still more luck in not being caught in the tangled boughs and matted twigs beneath, stabbed down thin and bright before them. But this was seldom, and it soon ceased altogether. This is a forest that is not healthy right? It's six. And of course, we okay, what was it? So, so, it's I to to it's so, quarter two. It's quarter two? Yeah. yeah. Well, well so. Full, full, full. Oh, uh, oh, so welcome Eleanor, who I think is the only one who's joined us, right? It's a small group this week. Actually, well, it's a awesome. small awesome. awesome. yeah, yeah, awesome. awesome oh, Okay, group. We had more yeah. people than
7: Timbits, so we had to save the Timbits. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> we had to scare them
11: away. Strategic Timbit
0: so Eleanor, do you have anything about the chapter that you liked or that you want that you want to talk about or share with us? This
9: sounds super sketchy. Could somebody please remind me which chapter we were supposed uh, fly to flies
0: and the Merkle chapter. Oh
9: yeah, um, I have. I didn't actually read it unfortunately, but I will say my favorite part of this novel is specifically the Mercury part. Um, so. This is, this is generally a, a novel, I, a chapter I enjoy. I especially like the um how the elves are portrayed in Mirkwood is so different to how they're portrayed in pretty much anywhere else in Middle-earth. And I really like how they, they get drunk and they party and <laughs> enjoy yeah. that, um, and they're not sad elves. I like that.
4: Mm. Yeah, Thrand- Thranduil is a very unique elf because he likes yeah. gems and treasure and he has yeah, a ring collection he's and yeah, he's very really yeah
10: that's necessarily yeah. unique, life. though, in the
0: grander mythos. Hmm? I don't know that that's necessarily unique, though, in the grander mythos. Well, it's no, so but I mean, mythos. within Lord
3: of the Rings yeah. and, and The Hobbit, yeah, yeah, it's and, almost a dwarf-like yeah. love for it. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, but we're going to get to that. But before we do, we want to talk about the spiders. Okay? Yes. Because they were, as Jess mentioned, sort of the uh, the ultimate expression of the darkness and corruption in Mirkwood are the giant spiders, right? Uh, The nastiest things that they see as they're walking through Mercury are the cobwebs, if you remember, right? And it's the bulbous, enormous eyes staring at him from above that he dislikes the most of all the eyes, right? So right away the chapter is kind of setting us up, right, for this. Not only that, but how is the spider colony described later
2: <laughs> 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 I, here's a thing.
0: Sorry, I have to get this. It's because I'm a chaplain, so I got. I have to answer this. Yeah, hello? This Rick. I don't know. There's some kind of uh, chemical work. So I can it. You guys can just keep talking. Just answer <laughs> the question.
9: <laughs> I'm in the middle of <laughs> <really laughs> <watching. laughs> <laughs> <How laughs> the Who else can the question? How is the spider's spider's cate- spider? Categor- how is it Describe. described? Mm-hmm. I can't make find that. <laughs> Who
4: else hates spiders? One, I,
9: oh yeah, <laughs> we call them right. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone Extra
6: find cats? it? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Josh? A place of dense black shadow ahead of him, black even for that forest, like a patch of midnight that had never been cleared away.
0: There you go. Yeah, it's blacker than black, right? It's sort of it's sort of particularly black, right? The darkest part in the forest. Okay? Um yeah, like a patch of midnight that has never been cleared away, right? The colony is the darkest part of the forest that they see, right? Now, of course, we know, as Nick pointed out, that the, the source of the evil is not actually the spiders, right? That it's Goldor, right? And the necromancer, who later we find out is Sauron. Spoiler alert. <laughs> for those you don't know. Well, this ruined it. <laughs> but, of course, behind uh, Sauron, there is another darkness right, that the spiders sort of represent, which is in the Silmarillion. Gorgoth slash Ungoliant. Yes, it's Ungol, it's on, it's on yeah. right? Who's, who's read the Silmarillion here? Okay, most people. I we'll read it next term. Yeah, next <laughs> yes. term. Oh, yes! Yeah, <laughs> I'm, so I'm actually going to have people help me read it because it's been it's
5: so hard for me to get yeah. through. Yes.
4: I have uh, the worst time I'm not here.
5: here.
0: Okay, so I mean, okay, so uh, in the Lord of the Rings we learn that the spiders of Mirkwood are in fact distant descendants of Ungoliant's famous last living child who is Sheila, she- she- right? And when, So when Tolkien describes the spider colony as darker than midnight, I think we're supposed to take that not literally beton. <laughs> right? That there's a metaphorical kind of darkness behind this, right? The darkness that is sort of the inheritance of Mongolian. And just for fun, because I brought it, because I can bring it when I can, is I'll just read a little bit about Ungoliant, just to wet your appetite for the necks <laughs> of uh, So this is talking about Ungoliant, and it says, In a ravine she lived, and took shape as a spider of monstrous form, weaving her black webs in a cleft of the mountains. There she sucked up all light that she could find, and spun it forth again in dark nets of strangling gloom no light more could come to her abode, and she was finished." So, there you go. Delicious. <laughs> delicious. Just, just so you know what's coming. Okay? Okay, so yeah, basically there are two different elements at work in Mirkwood, right? There's the perilous sort of element, yeah, the idea of enchantment, the, the realm of fairy, and there's the evil of Dol Guldur. And it's important that we don't conflate those, right? That we don't combine them. Those are, are sort of two different things, right? The elves in Mirkwood are on the perilous realm side, right? In fact, they're fighting against the evil. It's their magic that keeps the path clear, right? And when they're walking in the forest, these clearings where the elves have their feasts are remain clear, as if there's a kind of residual magic that's left behind after they leave, right? Um, and interestingly, it's the, sp- the spiders are the only living creatures in the forest on which the elves will show no mercy, right? Okay, so now now we can, okay, okay, I'll stop for a second. Any questions about the spiders or anything else, any other thoughts about them? We're gonna get to the, the battle with, with them, but for now, yeah
2: the spiders themselves are actually very silly. Like, they're, they're a lot like the trolls I've met so far. Like, once they have all the dwarves wrapped up, they stand there and they argue about how long should they hang them, who should they kill first, which right. one put up the most... Like, it's just like the, the trolls trying to argue how to cook them. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a lot like the other enemies we've met so far.
0: Yeah, and I wonder there if Tolkien is doing his similar... Like, I mean, Kara, you mentioned that the story definitely has been turning less children. You know, like, it's becoming darker, it's becoming more serious... Yet here at this moment with the spiders, suddenly we're kind of back in that kind of whimsical moment, you know, where they're having kind of a similar conversation with the trolls. Except, of course, well, well, yeah, I mean, the trolls also had that danger kind of yeah. implicit in it, but it wasn't stated. But it was kind of stated. funny, like, listen yeah, to the like, oh, you're you're a little a little like a s- person. Yeah, they're a little on the silly side, right, still. Yeah.
3: Well, was kind of back to what you are saying with the, the elves showing no mercy to the spiders, that even even goblins elves minds deserve some sort of mercy really outside of this i don't know that there's a you know in lord of the rings the goblins don't deserve mercy from the elves from their perspective it's just really interesting but yeah for the woodland elves being different
0: it's spiders not goblins right it, yeah I think they don't have goblins, or goblins but that, could be. that could be part, but part of it but there yeah. are some, the goblins do use
9: parts of mercy.
0: Yeah, I mean, though. my sense for the Lord of the Rings, especially when we see, for example, when the orcs enter into Lothlorien, mm. right, there's no mercy shown them by the elves. Right? But, that, but the, the orcs are a different thing, right, because the orcs, like Tolkien himself is kind of like, what am I going to do with the orcs, right, in terms of redemption, in terms of, right? But with spiders, there doesn't seem to be any sort of redemptive, nothing redemptive about it. Now, again, spiders are not spiders, right? It's not like we should take a lesson from this and then I mean, stamp every spider that we see because they're not evil. <laughs> I oh, like. it. The will. spiders yes. represent Ungolia. They represent darkness. They represent the, the encroachment of evil, right? You know what I mean? So, again, the spiders, even in, in The Hobbit, are kind of a metaphor, right? Well, they're also, like, on the level of monster, too. Right. Like, monsters are on a different level.
10: right. right?
4: Yeah, Nick. <clears throat> well, going along with what Kara said, um, you know, the whole fact that these spiders are arguing about how they should eat and kill them, realistically, I mean, as realistic as Giant spiders would get, they wouldn't really argue about who to eat or like how they should kill them. They would just go ahead and eat, eat, or like, you know, devour them. You know, if I were writing the story, at least half of the company would have been uh, spider bait. Um, but he's sort of, it's the, but it's, well, <laughs> I mean, right. but it's, it's the whole sort of, this is a children's book and children would yeah. be scared if, the heroes are starting to be, be, get eaten by spiders, so mm-hmm. Tolkien is sort of, you know, he, he, you could say that he's forcefully pulling them back to give Bilbo time to rescue them, because it's a children's story. It's not really, you know, a realistic, dark, sort of fancy kind of thing. Yeah. In that sense. Okay. Yeah.
3: Just going off of what you were saying about, it, you know, kid, I, I, I don't know, as a kid, and still, I'm afraid of spiders. I hate mm-hmm. spiders. I think yep. they're the most disgusting I'm wondering if that's why it is, because kids would already have a fear of spiders, not necessarily of trolls, depending on mm. when we're talking about the trolls being silly or the, you know, Bjorn being scary, all of these things that they're still whimsical, but they're, you know, they're not something that kids would immediately be afraid of. And at this point when it's still, it's getting really dark, but you change it because spiders would be something they're already afraid of. You'd almost be even too afraid at that point.
4: Okay. Kara?
2: really like that point because it's kind of like I think it was in like a Harry Potter special feature or something, one of the director's kids was more afraid by the screaming book in Harry Potter than by like Voldemort mm. because the screaming book is like, you can actually imagine opening a book and having it scream at you and how scary that would yeah. be, And it's really hard to conceptualize this greater evil so something mm. like spiders, like you can imagine huge spiders and how scary that would be as a kid yeah. but it's really hard to imagine trolls just because you don't have any experiences with them. Well and trolls also really closer like
4: to... The trolls also close resemble people, so they're not really as, you know,
0: other and different as spiders are. I'm just going to make a, a, a little comment out of this annotated hobbit, which I would encourage all of you to pick up. <laughs> about about On January 15, <laughs> 1957, Tolkien was interviewed by Ruth Harshaw for an American radio show called Carnival of Books. He said, I put in the spiders largely because this was, you remember, primarily written for my children. At least I had them in mind and one of my sons in particular disliked spiders with a great intensity. I did it thoroughly to frighten him, and it did. (laughs) Throughout his life, Tolkien's son Michael had what he called a deep-rooted abhorrence of spiders. So there you go, little vibe. Well, Tolkien did as well. reinforced four so so spiders. Yeah, Tolkien, I think, may have gotten bitten by a spider. Well, he I did, yeah. He got yeah. bitten by, yeah. by a spider. Tarantula. Tarantula. Yeah, was a but he was only yeah. a toddler, so. Yeah. But he
1: insists that has nothing to do with the depiction of spiders in his books. So. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, I
0: want to move on to the elves, because I are going right to run out of time here. Okay, uh, so the elves, what do we think of the elves? What are some ways that they're described in the story, in this chapter? More
3: dangerous and less wise than their other kin?
0: Yes, more dangerous and less... Okay, so why don't we just go to that paragraph? We'll start there, I guess. There's a lot of places we can start, but we'll start there. So this is on page...
2: Two hundred six in the blue book. Wait,
0: more dangerous and less wise? One
6: might say savage.
0: Ooh, Do you have a different more, version? Wild. Wild? Uh, this on page one fifty four in this no, no. amusing. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> uh, and we get a basically a one paragraph summary of someone. So there you go. Uh, so I'll just read this. Uh, the feasting people were wood elves, of course. These are not wicked folk. Uh, if they have a fault, it is distrust of strangers. Though their magic was strong, even in those days, they were wary. They differed from the high elves of the West, which, by the way, would be the elves of Rivendell, and were more dangerous and less wise. For most of them, together with their scattered relations in the hills and mountains, were descended from the ancient tribes that never went to ferry in the West. Notice that word. There, the light elves and the deep elves and the sea elves went and lived for ages and grew fairer and wiser and more learned and invented their magic and their cunning craft in the making of beautiful and marvelous things. That is razor power. <laughs> Before some came back into the wide world. In the wide world, the wood elves lingered in the twilight of our sun and moon, but loved best the stars. And they wandered in the great forests that grew tall in lands that are now lost. They dwelt most often by the edges of the woods from which they could escape at times to hunt or to ride and run over the open lands by moonlight or starlight, and after the coming of men they took ever more and more to the gloaming and the dusk. Such elves they were and remain, and that is good people. Okay, Josh? I just want to point out that despite the fact that they're more dangerous and less wise,
6: they're not the elves who go around singing silly songs and mocking the dwarves' beers. <laughs>
0: more serious. Are you sure about that? Okay. Well, let's hold off that because, I mean, in the next chapter, they are going to sing. And the song is not, is, it's a bit of a silly song. It may not be mocking of the dwarves, but, it, but one thing that, it, and that's important because one thing that we learn about these elves that seems to be the same about all elves everywhere in Middle-earth is that they sing, right? And they sing, okay, I'm going to stop there because next week we're going to get more of better songs. But anyway. So that's one of the things, right, is that they sing, right, and that their songs are sort of filled with mirth and joy and laughter, right, and that their voices are loud and clear and fair, right? These are sort of the descriptives we have. Also, what, what other descriptions do we have that tell us about elves, not only the elves of Mirkwood, but I would suspect elves in general? How is the elven king described in this chapter? I want to get to how they're described as elves, right? And what that tells us about elves in general. So how, how is the... Does anyone remember how the elven king is described? he
2: his gold hair and his leaf, the leaf crown.
0: Yeah, so he's, he wears a laurel crown, right? That's made of... What's it made of? Well, different things per... per yes, yeah, it's, it's seasonal, right? So what does that say about elves? They're connected to the land, right? They're connected to nature, right? That's one of the things that we see about elves,
1: okay? Yeah, Ben. Uh, after the, like, James part, it says that his people neither mined nor worked metals or jewels, nor did they bother much with trade or with tilling the earth.
0: Okay. So they kind of, yeah, that kind of is like more with they're into in the land. Right. You know, like, harming it. Yeah, okay. I don't mean to bring this up again, but
7: it's like eh, everything they're mentioning there with like them being connected to the land, being eh, the joyous the nature of them. It's very much harkening back to those tales of fairy, eh, the fairy stories. It's like uh, the different seasons for the different right. courts of fairies and stuff like that. Yeah, one thing,
0: and I don't know whether this comes from, and Taren could probably speak to this. I don't know if this. I don't know what the degree to which medieval elves. Which is where Tolkien is getting his. I, were as connected to nature as sort of the modern, like the more diminutive elves are all very natural, right? They flew around with with gossamer wings and under umbrellas of leaves, and like there's, there's there's still a very kind of natural sense to them. Did the medieval elves like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight? This guy comes in with an axe, and his head gets lopped off, and he picks it up and walks out with it. <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> doesn't <laughs> sound like Tinker Bell. There's
7: like
10: a fairy. Yeah, Um, like, there is descriptions of, like, how it's, it's kind of, like, the king's corporate, like, with, like, these people in, like, these amazing, like, royal outfits, but it's just, like, they're mysterious and they're riding through the woods, and I'm not familiar enough with, like, a wide enough range to be able to speak generally.
0: Yeah, okay. We should research on the three nights (laughs) sometime. Okay, um, however, okay, so, so you have a sense where these elves, like the elves in Rivendell, there, there's a joy about them, there's a beauty about them. Uh, these particular elves might be a little more wild, a little more dangerous than the elves in Rivendell, but they're still good, right? That, and in fact, it's capital G, good, capital P, people, right? So this is still, like we talked about different characters, right? How how in the wild the eagles are sort of like good, but not as good as the elves. These elves still are on the good side. And we see that in the way they they sort of protect the forest, right? They keep the path clear with their magic, they fight against the spiders, they fight against the darkness, this kind of thing, right? But they do have some flaws, right? Now, before I get to Taryn, did you have another point that you wanted to make? I thought you had No one. No. Oh, oh, it was Kara. Sorry.
2: Um, I was just going to say they're also very happy. Like yes. About, like, they're in the middle of this awful forest, it's dark, there are spiders, and it talks about how their songs were filled with mirth. Like they're singing, they're right. like sharing food with each other, talking about passing. I picture, like, a big, like, Thanksgiving, like, family meal. They're all laughing and, like, sharing their meal and sharing their food. Yeah. But then it also was followed right by how their songs were filled with mirth and they're singing, and then Thorin stepped into their midst. Right. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah, so they're, they're happy, they're joyful, right? Okay, but they do have some flaws. And one of them we've mentioned, which is the uh, desire for treasure, which we're going to get to. There's a flaw that's mentioned before that. It's actually in the paragraph that we just read. What's one of their flaws? Treasure? Uh, no, the one, the one, the distrust one. Distrust of the, strangers. Yeah, they have they have a distrust of strangers, and, and they even mistreat them a little bit, right? Which is considered a flaw by the narrator, right? Uh, which you may consider an, maybe an understandable flaw, considering what's happening to Markwood, but at the same time, you know, distrust and suspicion uh, is never a good response to evil. That doesn't. That's never going to resolve. Okay, Jess and then Corinne.
5: I actually remember um, during Two Towers, the Roharim and their distrust of Aragorn and Legolas and, and um, Gimli and how that could be associated with, um, as, a, as a fault, though uh, understandable fault. Right. Because at that point, there was a lot of bad stuff going on in Rohan.
0: Yeah. And that does, that does bog the whole thing down a little bit with all of it. That's part of the problem, right? Is distrust and suspicion, even though it's often done in the name of safety and security, sorry, this is my political. <laughs> out, right, it doesn't actually resolve any of the real issues that are you know, it's just it just bogs down that stuff. Uh Corinne and then Well kinda of to go off on it, kind of to go with what you're saying is also there's
3: there's a little bit of racial profiling going on with the—they particularly don't like dwarves because they right. had war with some faction of yeah. dwarves way long ago, and so all dwarves must be bad, right?
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Even though, dwarves
0: yeah. have
3: nothing to do with
4: it, right? Yeah. Well, and you know this incident—the one coming right up—as we'll see, where you know the Thorin and the company get imprisoned—it sort of uh, doesn't—it doesn't really bode well for international relations with the dwarves, because right. uh, this sort of, this this incident lends itself towards the enmity that both sides feel for each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay, the other fault, that's good, the other fault that we, and we already mentioned this, right, is that the king had sort of an unhealthy desire for treasure, right? That's going to come up more as we get later in the book when we're going to talk about the Dragon Lord. But for now, a couple comments is, it's not as if um, loving treasure or loving things that are beautiful is in and of itself bad. But what is the motivation that we're told for the elven king's desire for treasure? Yeah, Ben.
1: Because these other guys had more than me, so I won't
0: Yeah, it's envy, right, of other elven lords of old, in particular, Silmarillion people. Who's he thinking about? Thingol. Thingol, good. We'll get to that when you be the Silmarillion. <laughs> <bad>. Stop it! He <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. So, in a sense, that that it's it's out of envy, right? He wants more. He wants to be like these these old elf lords, these elf lords of old that had these very powerful kingdoms. Well, in addition to
10: envy, you could also say pride too, which is definitely a huge uh, flaw for any of the leaders that we see throughout Mm -hmm. Middle Earth.
4: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, if we're talking in you know seven deadly sins you could tell like envy and pride they almost go hand in hand because if you're envious of something you're thinking well, I don't know, why don't I have it why, why did they have it I should have it you know I'm deserving of it and then also envy I consider it to be sort of the most toxic of all of the sins because it long given enough time it can sort of um, you know stir up the, the other sins within you if you don't if someone else has something you want you hate them for it or you, yeah. you lust after you know like all these other things uh, envy is sort of the source of all them yeah. and so that's sort of a black mark on
0: Yep. Um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, so, uh, the next thing, and, oh, I don't remember our time here. Okay, so the next thing, of course, is the fact that despite that, like, so now we see that there's a mistress of strangers and that there's this unhealthy desire for treasure, but overall, the elves are good people, right? And they are really, you know, they fight against evil and against darkness. So what do we make, then, of their treatment of the dwarves? If they're such good people, they don't trust dwarves. Yeah, they don't trust dwarves. How does? To- hmm. I'm put this. At the end of the chapter, do you feel a sort of ill will toward the elves? No. We, I, I don't either. Well, they're not cruel to Thor, and like it goes that specifically out of the way to be like, well, they like even though he was their prisoner, they weren't gave him like plenty of food. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like
10: feast food, but it was like good, normal
0: food. Yeah. How does Tolkien make sure that you don't feel any ill will to the elves at the end of the chapter, even though they are? Okay, yeah. Kara?
2: He's very good at turning, like giving both sides a very rational argument. Like, why did you attack my people? Why did you interrupt my feast? Why are you attacking my lands? Yes. Which you is all very rational things me. like you can't really hate someone for asking those questions, but Thorin's also answering, well, because we were hungry, because we were starving, because we were lost. You yeah. also can't hate him for that, because that's also a very rational reason to be doing the things he did. Yeah. So I think you, you see both sides of the coin really.
0: Yes, great. Tolkien does a really good job in this chapter of presenting both sides of the of, of the argument, right? In ways that make you sympathetic to them, right? Yeah, correct.
3: Well, and he also does a really good job of um, comparing the wood elves to the goblins. Like, yep. the goblins would do this, but the wood elves don't. Right. Because we already know that the goblins are back.
0: Right. Yeah. Right? So you have the, the wood elf, right? The, the king, right? It was a very good argument, right? The king's perspective. Here he is feasting in the forest with his people, right? And suddenly they're attacked three times by dwarves, <laughs> right? And he already has a distrust of dwarves from past history, right? And, of course... Thorin doesn't help his case because Thorin refuses to disclose what they're doing in the forest, right? Which is, you know, so the Elven King's response would not be totally inappropriate. We're kind of like, actually, Thorin, you kind of, you, you know, created this problem yourself. You've just been a bit more honest, right? If you hadn't, you know, if you hadn't tried doing anything, right? On the other hand, when it comes to Thorin's part, he's like, hey, we're just walking in the woods. We're minding our own business. Just like we were minding our own business in the Misty Mountains and the goblins attacked us, right? We're just on our way doing this thing, and yeah, we happen to be hungry and desperate, and we saw this feast, and we thought we'd go in there begging for food. And you're like, yeah, okay, that actually makes sense, right? So they both have stories that are kind of like they they don't they allow you to sympathize with both parties, so that you don't hate the elves at the end of the chapter, which you don't. We don't. Tolkien doesn't want us to do because, of course, as we know, they're going to be allies in the end, right? So Tolkien has to make sure that, and he does this. In a variety of places in his works, not just here. Yeah, Terry. Well,
10: even in this chapter two, like when it's talking about like the ancient grudge of the dwarves and the elves, he's like, well, from the elf's perspective, this was what the war was about, but from the dwarves perspective, yeah. this is what it was about. So even there, when he's detailing the grudge, he shows you both sides of that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it should be pointed out that 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 uh, the elf king is probably aware, maybe aware of the fact that uh, one of these major elf lords that he envies so much was, in fact, murdered by a small band of dwarves. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility yeah. that, right? So again, that's still Merlin. So you know, just a little bit, <laughs> bit <laughs> in for you, there, Nick. So uh, it's funny how it's funny how Balin actually asks the elf king if the spiders are his tame beasts, which of course just is the ter- worst thing you can say. <laughs> and I think the elf king is justifiably angry at that statement. <laughs> Yeah, Kara?
2: I think it's also interesting when you get, when we met the goblins and they talked about like the old dwarf and goblin feuds, it was specifically like they hated everyone equally, even dwarves, except for Thorin and his family because they were really bad to them. When you meet the elves, it talks about how the elves and the dwarves, like some dwarves had war with the elves in the past, but not actually Thorin, he just knew about it. So he was very specifically allied against the goblins, but his family only kind of heard of the war with the elves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're left kind of going, okay, you know, if they, if both of them had sort of communicated, they, we probably wouldn't be in this situation, right? But they both are a little bit, they're both being a little bit sneaky, a little bit, and they both have baggage, right? Which is, but you're, in the end, you kind of go, I think in the end, these both of these people are probably okay. It's just a misunderstanding. Right? Which is what we want, what Tolkien wants us to think, right? When, by the time we get out of the forest and into the next part of the story. So, uh, okay, so now, it's our time here. Oh, like 1:30 not twice. Oh, it's 1.30. Okay, we'll see how we explain. So, we got to talk about Bilbo in this chapter. Mr. Bay. Bilbo the hero. Bilbo the hero. Okay? The um, stick. Okay, so, uh, in the middle of the chapter, uh, chapter 8, uh, Bilbo finds himself in a not, in a not unfamiliar uh, situation, uh, which is. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's on page 143 in this version. So it's right after the break, right after uh, Thorin, the third time Thorin steps in and disappears, and then Bilbo's running around calling other names. But the cries of the others got steadily further and fainter, and though after a while it seemed to him that they changed to yells and cries for help in the far distance, all noise at last died right away, and he was left alone in complete silence and darkness. Then there's a break, and it says that was one of his most miserable moments. And what what other miserable moment are we supposed to think of when Bilbo says that? When he's alone in the tunnels of the misty mountains. Yes, when he's alone in the tunnels of the misty mountains, right? So now he's back in that. Now, so he finds himself, again, alone in the dark. Okay. What What are some things that are the same about these two situations that you notice in this story?
3: Fishing for bacon and eggs? Yes, it's right cool. away he goes
0: back to bacon and eggs again. This is So Baggins, of course, is alive and well still, even in the middle of work, right? Uh, and he's, yeah, he thinks about bacon, eggs, and toasted butter, right? What else do you notice that is very similar to uh, those two situations? Kara? His first, or not
2: his first, one of his first thoughts is for the dwarves. Like, it says after he's dealt with the spider, obviously he had to first look for his friends. And that was one of the things he thought in the dark. He's like, I don't know what's happened to them. And as soon
0: as he gets out of the situation, he's like, well, I might have to go back in. Yeah, so, so there's, a similar, there's a similarity there in that he thinks of the dwarves. But there's a difference. What's the difference? Right? In the Misty Mountains, he's reluctant. Right? He's like, oh, I've got to go back in and find them." Right? In this case, well, obviously, I have to go and find them. Right? So, there's, so he, something has happened. Yeah. He's got a little more experience. He's got a little more experience. He yeah. actually saved them once. He saved them once? Yeah, well, okay. has he? Not yet.
10: Well, and it also talks Isn't about like good? after he kills this spider, it's like there's a little bit of a switch. Um, he felt a different person in much fiercer and boulder in spite of him his stomach as he wiped his sort on the grass and the back of his sheath. Yeah. So he's kind of like I don't know, a step more taking like a larger step, I guess, squarely.
0: Yes. Sorry. Okay. In no. that what, what What is also similar in how he... What he, What finally comforts him in the mountains? The sword. The sword. What about here? The sword. The sword again, right? Again, the sword becomes that thing that end, ends up sort of comforting you, right? He thinks about it a lot sooner this time around. Too he thinks crazy. about it yeah. a lot sooner, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he actually also uh, actually uses it for the first time in this story, right? Which is a very significant, right? So, oh yeah, yeah, Karen? Well, I'm, I don't know if we're kind of
10: like already turning to this, but part like part of the thing is like he hasn't, all he's got is himself to kind of trust you, like there's no gamble to get him out of trouble, there's no horse yeah. to get him out of trouble. I mean, even in the, like the tunnels, he sort of to get himself a but he did find Gollum who like sort of showed him the way, so he wasn't entirely
0: to his own devices,
10: but this is yeah a little bit different. Like he's like if he doesn't do something that like nobody else is
0: going to. Right. Yep. What has Bilbo done so far, really? When when it comes right down to it in terms of the quest, what is actually what has Bilbo actually done? Nothing. Not <laughs> Right. In fact so far, most of the time he's being carried. Right? <laughs> Complain about his handkerchief. Yeah, and complaining about yeah, he complains a lot. Right. The no, only use not. he's actually been put to is his vision has been mm-hmm. pretty good, right. And also because of his short stature, he's the one chosen to go climb up to the top of the tree and look around, which of course doesn't really help much, right? Mm-hmm. Except for him, because he gets to feel the sun and then when he describes it of course the board's just like, Oh please, right? The <laughs> only thing he really did that was of any that it was sort of adventurous in terms of the dwarfs' understanding was, of course, the thing with the trolls. But they didn't appreciate the fact that he went over what they told him to do anyway, <laughs> right? They, he said, just, they said, just go and take a look. He's like, "Wow, well, there's my chance to be a burglar. And, of course, they all get caught. And they're like, why did you go about burglaring? <laughs> that was what we want you to do, right? So he's been, in a sense, he hasn't been doing all that much in terms of the quest, right? He did alert he, them to the goblins. What's that? He did alert them to the goblins. I mean, they still got caught by the goblins. Yes. Yeah, too late, right? Yeah, he alerted them. Yeah, but again, that was al- he wasn't a—he wasn't alerting them. He was just wow, what the right? Like it wasn't like hey, yeah, wait, that's that's a, some- he just woke up himself, and had, right? Selfishly screamed. Yeah, but he's mostly been just carried around, right? And even his—even when he is saved or gets out of a pickle, it's mostly by luck, right? Look at the riddle game, right? How many riddles did Bilbo get by luck? He just a fish just happened to jump on his foot. It's like, oh, a fish, right? Or it was just by luck that he happened to know it. He has not had to use any real skills, yet, right? Until now. This is his moment, right? Uh, the dwarves are beginning to take him seriously, but not much, and he hasn't done much. But now it's all about to change. Now, as Terran said, there's just Bilbo and the spider, there's no one else. No Gollum, no luck, no Gandalf, no force, There's a says right? he was lucky that he came to his senses in time. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. He's still got luck on <laughs> your whole Yeah, 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 and I totally disagree with that because it completely dismantles my argument. <laughs> uh, now, the other thing, of course, is uh, he draws the sword and he attacks, right? Remember, before he draws the sword, he's kind of beating the thing off with of his hands, right? But then he draws his sword and he attacks, right? So he's no longer at this point just enduring the darkness. He's actually confronting the darkness, right? He's taking a stand on the darkness, right? And what, what effect does this have on, on Mr. Bates, this killing, this fighting? Well, now he feels like a
3: first-class adventurer.
0: Yes, right? He's no longer thinking so much about his stomach, right? He felt a different person, much fiercer and bolder in spite of an empty stomach, as he wiped his sword on the grass and put it back in its sheath. Remember, he wanted to be fierce, right? Back in Bag End, right? And he was kind of fierce until they started mentioning that some of them might come back. And then he turned into this helpless, screeching little thing on the floor, right? So <laughs> so this, so, But here now, he's finally feeling, actually, I am fierce. A different person, he And what does he do in the spirit of all Tolkien moments of such import? He names his sword. He names his sword. That's right. Yeah. And what does he call it? Sting. Why sting? He is the stinging
9: fly.
0: He is the stinging fly. Right? There's a reversal here. Right? The spider is the one with the sting. Right? The one with the power. Right? But Bill was turned that around and he becomes the one who stings. Right? The stinging fly. Um, where did you get the stinging fly? I like it
2: an inside information. I am the. Yeah. I don't know if it says the. I'm the stinging fly. I'm King Barry's friend alive and brings a lot of, yeah. of the water.
6: Oh, it's happy. <laughs> yeah.
2: Favorite chapter. <laughs> Three
0: <like> weeks <dreams> away. <laughs> yeah. So when he awakes, the spider is, spinning, is trying to sting him, right? He turns it around and he becomes the fly that stings the spider, right? Um. And then, of course, now he's now immediately called on to act on his on his new role as this warrior, right? Which is to go and find the dwarves, right, and to rescue them. Um,
6: In the end, he made as good a guess as he could by the direction in which the cries had come and by luck. He
0: was born. Okay, so he (laughs) was born with a good (laughs) share. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have read it more closely. But it's still, but it's, but it's. Um, but, but there's still a change in him. Like, look at the way that that surround. Like, who's in charge now of their expedition? Right, no. it's Bilbo. He's in charge of the rescue plan. Right, he's the one who says, "Okay, I'll draw them off." Right, and, and then he explains the ring. I'm going to turn invisible. Don't worry about it for a moment. I'll explain it later. Right, and all of a sudden, we hear his voice. Right, eh, he's mocking the spiders again. They all go chasing him. Right, you know, like he's he is. I mean, this is. This is a totally different Hobbit than the one we saw running out of Bag with no handkerchief, right? This is a complete transformation, right? He's in charge, he's got a plan, right? Even when he's then when 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 the you know then he when he leads them off, he goes back, and when he when they're all surrounded by the spiders, he's the one kind of dancing, you know, this image of him dancing and thrusting with his little sword, right? I mean, the dwarves must be like, who the heck? <laughs> I mean, well, this is not... Who are you, you right? how, how do they describe him in Bag End, right? More like a, like like a grocer than a... Right? Grocery. And now there's nothing here about a grocer. Now, and interestingly, right, Gandalf... What did Gandalf... Who did Gandalf want for this adventure? Who, did, who was Gandalf hoping that he could get to accompany the dwarves on this adventure before Eric? he thought of building Eric. No, not a name, a kind of person. A hero. A hero or a warrior, it says at the beginning. But they're so hard to find, they're in short supply, right? So says, well, okay, then maybe a burglar would be the next best thing, right? And here is Bilbo, right? The warrior and the hero, right? Bilbo becomes exactly what Gandalf wanted, but didn't think he could get. Right? So yeah, nobody would uh, mistake him for a burglar. Um
2: not get that great line when he's doing things, and it says about how he's really good at throwing rocks, because he's good at throwing eggs. He could do a lot of things besides blowing smoke rings, asking riddles, and cooking, but I had not time to tell you about it. But it's still very bag he things, that he's like, yeah, he can do all these baggy things, but a bunch of other stuff that I would But Bilbo probably doesn't know a lot of the other stuff he can do either, like, Gandalf like, might be the only one who guesses at that. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So that's good. Actually, that's, that that's in there because again, remember, it's not like it's not like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? It's not like he turns from one. They're always they're always there, right? Like we saw again, he's still thinking about bacon and eggs, right? That's not. It's never that far from his mind, right? And there's still even in the middle of this battle, there's these little hints of Baggins comments, right? So it's still Mr. Bilbo Baggins that's doing this battle fight with, with the right. So. Um, The other thing that's very important here is the fact that he's doing, that this is a self-sacrificial move, right? He is putting his life on the line for his friends. This is genuine heroism, right? Which I think is is quite important as well. Until in the end, the spiders have become mortally afraid of sting and they wouldn't even Yeah, right. Uh, anything else? Uh, um, I might, I might save the, the songs for next time. He's still not good at climbing
2: trees. He's still yeah, he's, yeah. He's still not the dwarves helped him the last two times he climbed a tree, and this time he's like well, huh. lucky that a spider left a thread because otherwise he wouldn't be able to like, actually climb the tree to save Thanks. the doors. So he's a warrior, but he's not. Really he you No, know, yeah. He's not a tree climber. He's lacking some necessary
0: skills. Somebody asked about the spider speaking English. Oh, good. Yeah, and about the war and how the words don't speak. So, what do we? I mean, what do you? What do we make of that? I think the words did speak in their own way, didn't they? Yeah, they had their own, own language. language. Yeah. You
6: couldn't understand it because yeah. defer meanings from.
0: Yeah, the yeah, right. Yeah, they they spoke. They had a language, but I mean, it wasn't translated. So speak. yeah, then. I get it. Suggest to the hatred from some people that this is one thing where the movie actually makes a lot
11: more a lot more sense because they don't speak English until Bilbo has the ring, and then it's kind of like oh the ring is like because it's evil evil is
1: translating the evil speech so that he can understand it and that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. And like even when you think about it, I don't think the first spider where he doesn't have the ring on speaks. Yeah. But then once he has the ring on, then like. They do speak, and so it's possible that while not explicitly stated, that could be... Although, Ungolian could speak.
11: Yeah. She could. good. Like, she
1: looked good? Yeah. Well, they cheat the of Gollum somehow.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, just because she didn't talk to Sam, she was really trying to, like, beat him. <laughs> she yeah, really
10: really
2: he's going he to to well, well, I think it, a lot
10: of it is it's following fairy tale logic, the things that he wants to speak speak, and the things <laughs> yeah,
0: that you like be yeah. yeah. more fierce or whatever don't, yeah. like the, the eagles can speak too. Right. Yeah. But what does that say? Like, like, it's, like could it be something that I mean to be, I mean yeah, it's sort of in a narrative sense you know, um, in fairy tales you, whoever, you know, the narrative chooses who they want to speak. But in a sub-creation sense, right? In this world that Tolkien created who speaks, who doesn't speak, right? That would be a question to ask, In terms of consistency, right? And it seems to be that that speech has something to do with, with, with having a kind of morality, right? Or being a moral creature, right? Smaug speaks, the goblins speak, the eagles speak, right? And now the spiders speak, right? Evil speaks just as food speaks because it's a moral, right? These spiders have a kind of agency to them. They balance them. That maybe the wargs are kind of lower, right? They're a bit lower than the spiders in terms of the kind of creatures that we've encountered, right? So you might say that those spiders might be a better counterpart, counterpart to the eagles than the wargs are to the eagles. The wargs are
2: a little right? more like that's
0: Yeah. They're, it's,
2: they're more natural, I guess.
0: Yeah, or something like that. Maybe, right? Um, Then, then as, we'll, as we'll see, or we won't see, but I mean, this is another interesting question, right? Because, of course, then there's also the question of singing. Who sings? Goblins sing, but Smaug never sings, that word, right? So, again, does that say something about, you know what I mean, like these kind of levels and the system that Tolkien is creating, right? So it seems, it seems to me that part of the speech of the spiders is the fact that they are, there's a moral, kind of moral agency to them. Not that they can... You know, not that you can imagine a good spider, right? But there is a sense that they are... They seem, there seems to be the assumption, perhaps, that they could choose to do good or evil. Maybe, I don't know, I just all that out there. Um, uh, Greg and then Kara? Oh, it's point of Greg. <laughs> oh, Greg. <laughs> I think we could argue that singing is also
1: partly tied to a civilization structure because, I mean, the, the goblins, the only ones who sing, I believe, are the ones of The Hobbit, and they have an established kingdom and stuff like the rowing bands of orcs we see in Lord of the Rings more they don't sing so much mm. and yeah dragons I think are more solitary creatures they probably only meet up to breed so mm-hmm. and then just hunt around for treasure and like stuff to eat in their own time yep. so kay. they wouldn't probably have it all song.
6: that's all I kind of wonder sorry I'm I kind of wonder if orcs do speak and it just orcs? yeah it, sorry, I just kind of went back to that part. that says uh, "Where was it now? He spoke to the the great grey wolf. He spoke to them in the dread, dreadful language of the wargs. So I'm trying to, to think Yeah, they yeah, that's they right. They I'm just think trying to do on translating words in the solarian yeah. that they have spoke or all I can think of is uh, the hound, but
0: anyways, you're going using again. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. So then so then it seems it does seem that Speech does have to do with a kind of um, a kind of intelligence or something, or a kind
10: but of. It still doesn't explain that. Also, like, I guess, why are the spiders speaking like common tongue
2: right. not like mm-hmm. spider language? Maybe they don't have. Yeah, yeah. They are also speaking to Bilbo. Like, they say things like, "Now we see you, you nasty little creature. We will eat you and leave your bones and skin hanging on a tree." I mean, I think that that's for his benefits when he hears it. He's like. Right. <laughs> like yeah, I but that's, that's then scary. when <laughs> the, the
1: spiders talk amongst themselves, like, "Oh, are they dead?
2: No, oh, yeah, they're not. They do, right. they do speak English." Yeah. yeah, that is weird.
5: Yeah, Jess. Well, it's possible that you, um, what you what you were saying about what he was saying at that point—he had the ring on when he was walking in to and listening in on the spiders. So maybe it's yeah. th- that could be in inter- what they interpreted.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I, yeah, I hear that, and I think that's maybe what they did in the movie, but I'd be hesitant to think that in The
5: Hobbit, Tolkien's thinking that. Particularly since the, yeah,
0: the ring is not The, ring isn't, the ring isn't that yet. No. It's not evil. It's, it's not about what
1: Tolkien novel. thought, but it's in the text. It's a possible interpretation. It's my head. Right. right. Yeah, that's
6: yeah, true. Yeah, Eleanor? Um,
9: it could also be with the, the spider speaking English that Tolkien is pretty limited in that its audience were slightly too young to comprehend nuances of language. So it could be in his head, there was a different explanation for why Bilbo could understand the spiders, but given that he was writing for young children, he couldn't exactly articulate that to them.
10: Mm-hmm. And he just
9: didn't bother trying. It could yeah. also be because
10: they're like kind of in these enchanted, like they're in the realm, yeah. And right. so things that, like, normal language rules don't necessarily apply mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So it could be because they are in Yeah. Yeah. It's we, a lot of people
9: to like inherently understand, sort of, or something. Something
10: weird happens in
0: Good I don't even know.
9: Right yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
10: Yeah. Also, if you want to.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we'll maybe I'll I'll I'll, I'll look at it. I wonder if, well, if it says anything in the Anvil Hobbit. Which it says on <laughs> the Still fairytale logic. Yeah, it does
2: make the most sense.
6: I remember reading some article about how um, the subcreative powers of the Valor could only go so far in terms of languages and the ability to intuitively speak common tongue or. Or just grunt and growl like the words. I don't remember what the point was. Doing. If you find it, you should post it
2: on the Facebook page. Yeah. I did yeah. that.
0: All right. Hey, good. Thanks, everybody.
2: Uh, so, two chapters next week. Uh, on the, Wait, nope, nope. Uh, Barrels and a Bond and uh, Warm Welcome. And the challenge is to recreate a scene in another character's point of view, maximum.